people expect that, well, if I get 100,000 Instagram followers, I put out a couple of videos, I get paid once or twice, I can start commanding $50,000, I can be the best speaker in the world. It just takes so much more than that. And I think people aren't patient enough in this business. And I think that that's the number one thing you got to be. You got to be patient. You got to listen. When you go and realize that somebody's paying to have you up on stage, you have to deliver for them and things change. And you got to take their feedback to heart. You got to think about what you're doing. You got to internalize your message and listen to your criticism because it's not going to be 100% positive. The negative stuff is what helps you improve. I'm on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. I'm ready for my close-up. Hi, and welcome back. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today. This is crazy. My first episode ever of Creating Confidence was with Gary Vaynerchuk. And today we are lucky enough to have his partner, Zach Nadler with us. Zach, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to see you, Heather. Thanks for having me. Okay. I have to read your bio because it's super impressive. And and I want everyone to understand what you're all about, what you've accomplished. Co-founder and CEO of Vayner Speakers. Holy cow. CEO. It's a big deal has built a career helping luminaries share their stories of impact and inspiration. With his longtime client and now partner, Gary Vaynerchuk, we've got to dig into that, Nadler founded (laughs) Vayner Speakers in 2018, a speakers bureau for the modern event planner. He represents best-selling authors, entrepreneurs, CEOs, thought leaders, tastemakers, basically so many ballers that we can't even name them all. Zach spent over nine years serving as leading agent in the speaker's department at CAA. Guys, that's a huge freaking deal. His journey representing talent began in 07 as vice president of sports and entertainment marketing for Premier Management Group, representing Olympians during the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, where his clients brought home over 20 gold medals. A graduate of NYU, his career began working in operations for the Celebrity Players Tour. A native of Longmeadow, Mass., I'm a mass person too. Gotta love that. Zach resides in New York City now with his wife, daughter, and their puppy, Lucy, and his hundreds of classic vinyl records. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And I've got Lucy here with me to to make sure I'm I'm on my best behavior. Wait, I have to tell you the funniest thing. When I read your bio, I'm like, he doesn't name his wife. He doesn't name his daughter. He (laughs) names the puppy in the bio. Very, very funny. (laughs) Of course. The only one that doesn't have a social media account. (laughs) (laughs) That's important to note. Okay, Zach, there's a lot to cover here, but I want to take it back to the beginning. How did you even break into this business? How does someone even decide they want to run a speaking company or be an agent? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I think no one, uh, when they're 9, 10 years old, says they want to be a speaker's agent, right? Most people are firefighters, police officers, doctors, things you actually know about. Most people don't even know this is a, a, a kind of industry or a career path that you can take. I didn't know it was a business until two years ago. It's so crazy. Yeah. And it's evolved. I mean, 20 years ago, it was not what it is today, right? 20 years ago, unless you were a the guy who started Famous Amos, right? If, unless you were a politician, right? With someone like kind of in a cottage industry, you weren't really doing this for a living. Now, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who do nothing but speaking. So it's completely evolved. I didn't really see it as a career path myself. I actually, I was pursuing a career in sports, as you mentioned, and, you know, pretty quickly saw that that path was, it's extremely tough to break in while I was having success. You know, when I started working with Olympians, a lot of what you do is speaking engagements, right? They make not that much money from the USOC, from the Olympic teams. So in order to, you know, stay competing and keep training, 
you have to, you know, work and you have to do speaking engagements and clinics and take endorsements. And so I was doing a lot of this and then eventually got recruited to join CAA and pursue solely this. And that was when my eyes really opened to what this industry could be. And even since then, the industry has evolved. Call that 12 years ago. The people who were out there doing speaking engagements aren't the people who are out there doing it now, right? George Clooney, you, you can book him for a speaking engagement. He wasn't doing this 10 years ago, let alone 20 or anything like that. So the industry has evolved quite a bit, created a lot of opportunity. And so it's a path I didn't expect myself to be taking, but I'm certainly enjoying the ride while I'm doing it. Well, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. It definitely is a bumpy ride. And I want to get into that given that we're both in the event business during a global pandemic, (laughs) which definitely is not ideal. Okay. So here's something that stuck out to me when I read your bio. CAA is massive, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think everybody knows CAA. And if you don't, probably George Clooney is with CAA, right? I mean, they literally have the biggest names in the business. That's right. So why would you, when you're at your top of the game at the lead premier agency say, you know what, I'm just going to roll the dice and go out and start a company uh, offshoot with Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah, it's a great question. Wasn't the easiest decision, but at the same token, it wasn't that hard when I really thought about it. Obviously, Gary, you know, Gary, he's a serial entrepreneur. It's not that everything he does is perfect, but he has a pretty high success rate. And I started working with Gary in 2009, but it wasn't the Gary that you see today. So back then, he was a tough guy to sell. And I think that the more he developed and more he built VaynerMedia and his business side, as well as his investments matured, I think he became a different person. And over time, we kind of aligned more and more in terms of how we approach sales, how we approach customer service, how we approach the speaking industry. And so we did a lot of things that I think a lot of other clients of mine weren't doing, a lot of other people weren't really considering, whether it was creative deal making, the travel, the crazy, crazy travel he was doing back then. You know, there was a lot of different things that we did that just weren't traditional. And this is a tired old industry. It's been around 50 years. Not much has changed. So Gary and I looked at it and said, well, if we just apply a little bit of innovation, we could probably make an impact. You know, at the time he had already built VaynerMedia. It was extremely successful. And now look at all these other companies he's built. And so it was one of those things where he said, if we just apply the kind of innovation and disruption that you've applied to the advertising industry, we're going to be fine. And so we built this business thinking, you know, the first off, the last thing the world needed was another speakers bureau. So we said, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And of course, we didn't realize we were starting the company 18 months before COVID started. So that was a nice little wrinkle. But at the same token, it gave us a lot of direction and opportunity to kind of, you know, build it the way we wanted to. And so, you know, we set out to, to do just that. We try to be a speaker's girl unlike any other. And we try to just be a little bit different and, and think about the customer a lot more than I think our competitors tend to do. And that's something that Gary's always done. So it was a, it was a natural fit. So the more I thought about it, while it was tough to leave a place like CAA, I don't remember the last time I wore a suit, COVID or otherwise. So I think there are some uh, some silver linings to it. That is a very exciting point. And that's one thing I love about VaynerMedia is that you can show up in jeans and know that Gary's showing up that same way. That's pretty cool. So what is it <laughs> like to work with Gary? Because I know my listeners right now, are what they want to know the answer to that question. Yeah, well, I always say that Gary you see on, on video is Gary, right? You know this. Like You've seen it even when before a podcast. He's the same person before and after, right? And during. And I think that part of that is the camera's just always on him. But I think that's also just, he doesn't have time to try and play a part. He's just always himself. And so I always love to tell people this when people think Gary's just like, you know, extremely exuberant guy. He of course is, but he's also the most empathetic, personable person you'll ever meet. And he's just human to the core. So I can remember plenty of times where I'll you know, hop into the car with him. We'll have a 10-minute meeting go in between other meetings he's taking, right? And I hop in and he'll look at me. He's like, hey, how's it going? I'll just go right into like this crazy thing. Like, I have this going on. We got to talk about this. This is the thing. You gotta, you're going to Australia. You're doing this. And he'll just look at me. I don't know. How's it going? 
And he's just so grounded to know that like, yeah, there's all this stuff going on, but like there's a relationship. And so I think that that's something that often gets lost and, and people don't necessarily always see that side of Gary, especially because it's probably not, you know, the best 30 second snippet for Instagram, but that's really who he is at the core. And I think everything else he does just stems from that. One of the things that surprised me most, I, I just hadn't thought about it and having just had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times, he's so intense and so busy. Those were mm-hmm. the two things that stuck out to me that, <laughs> you know, things that like you, like what you were saying, there's, you're doing this and doing this and everyone presents themselves maybe on social, but you wonder if it, that was the one thing I just being around him those couple of times saying, wow, I mean, it's overwhelming. I would imagine because he's so busy, he gives you a lot of autonomy in running this company. Yeah, I think he is, you know, he's an extremely amazing person to work with because anytime you ask of him, you get whatever you ask for, unless it's something crazy. But if you're asking something, you know that, you know, he has no problem doing it and dropping everything to do it. And at the same time, he is, he's there to kind of support you in whatever, you know, you're building. Uh, and I think that goes for any of the VaynerX companies. He's also, the, to, to your point, he's so busy, but what I give him more credit for is just not wasting time, Right. You or I will walk down the hallway to go to the bathroom or go get a glass of water. And maybe we just collect our thoughts as we're walking down the hall. He's down on his phone, in his DMs, checking his emails, checking his text messages, right? That's something that I think is is so intense about him, but it's such a dedication. He programs everything in five minutes. I always say he can do the fastest consulting as anyone. You can talk to him for 30 seconds. Like, all right, I know your problems. I know what you're going through. I can figure it out. Here's what you got to do, right? People want that from him, but he knows how to listen and actually hear what you're saying really fast, which is tough. Also look at him, just the way he's he's built his businesses and seeing him, the way he's traveled, the way he's worked. For a long time, he was doing, you know, basically up at six, go to the gym. And then from seven until 11 was programmed with meetings. And there were certainly, you know, FaceTime with the kids and, and call dad, things like that on the calendar, but he programs every minute out. And then there's stuff that happens every day that gets thrown in the middle. And so his admins are incredible because they're able to navigate all that, but he gives them a ton of autonomy too. But I think for Gary, it's, it's so important just to stay available to everyone and honor your word. And I think that to do so, you have to start programming minute to minute. And so he really does that. And I think he certainly changed over the last 10 years. You know, he doesn't work weekends the way he used to. Um, he's not traveling, you know, even pre-COVID, wasn't traveling quite the way we used to do it. The first time I went to Australia was three cities in 36 hours, right? Or that was the second time. The first time he flew there for eight hours to be in the, the country for eight hours. So like, he doesn't do that stuff anymore. But I think he he knows how to be efficient with his time. And that's what's made him so successful. He's, he's I think, 45 now and worked probably as much as a 60-year-old CEO. So I think when you kind of compare it, it's it's pretty wild to think about. One of the things that when people get a chance to see their your face, they're going to say, how did this guy, he's so young, how did he get so lucky <laughs> to get this opportunity? You know, people are going to say that. However, I do want to add just my own experience in this business, in the speaking business over the past couple of years. You have an unbelievable name and reputation that you've built on your own. Has nothing to I appreciate do that. With, I mean, I hear it from everyone, Zach, and then I've had the opportunity to directly work with you and see it. So what is it about you that you think you did things differently that you were able to advance mm-hmm. so quickly and create opportunities and a reputation like this? Yeah. Well, first off, I'm not as young as I look. It's just daily Botox. Um, but I think, you know, I, it's something where we, we kind of built the business around a simple idea, right? No two events are the same. Let's not treat them the same. No two speakers are the same. Let's not treat them the same either. And I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle with a lot of our competitors, right? I think a lot of competitors are looking to just scale their business, just, you know, rinse and repeat, do the same thing over and over again. 
45 minutes speech, 45 minutes speech, 45 minutes speech. You know, you know this having gone to a million events. Not every event's the same. Some events want to do things differently. Some speakers want to do things differently. So we just try to adapt that. And that's kind of been always been my mentality, right? I've always tried to understand what makes this event special, what makes a speaker special and different, and what do they want to do? And how can we make that happen? And it doesn't always work. But if you understand what the goal is, you can get a lot closer than just trying to, to shove a square peg into a round hole. So we built the business off that, but that's something I've just always done in my career. Personally, I just I just work hard all the time. You know, I think it's just important to to know. You know, obviously, you have boundaries so that you can step away from work. Um, but at the same token, I you know I've been working since you know I was working fifty hours a week in college to get to where I am, and I think that it's it's you know what's the old expression like luck and opportunity is chance, right? It's it's all coming together at the same time. There, you have to be ready for it, but you also have to put the time in. I know our mutual friend Jesse Itzler always talks about it: the bus ride. Right, you got to be ready when that bus gets there. And I've always just, just, you know, worked hard, kept my head down, done what I was supposed to do. And then there was obviously a lot of right place, right time. Right, you can't predict things like COVID. You can't predict things like the 0809 recession, 911 hurt the hospitality industry right before I jumped into that. I think there's a lot of things that you can't really expect. But at the same token, you got to be ready, willing, and able when the opportunity is there. And that's something I've always tried to pride myself on. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular, and it is just so easy, all because I use Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized I can do this. I can go to work for myself. Thanks to Shopify. What I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy.
When starting out a new business, it's a complete pain to get through the LLC part. Taylor Brands makes it 90% easier. It's easy and affordable to get your LLC with Taylor Brands. Taylor Brands offers all the legal requirements for LLCs, such as registered agent, annual compliance, EIN, operating agreement, business license and permits, and much more. Taylor Brands walks you through each step of building a successful business and has everything you need all in one place. Bookkeeping, invoicing, business licenses and permits, business documents, bank accounts, and so much more. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using this link, taylorbrands.com slash confidence. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash confidence. So get started today with Taylor Brands. I want to speak to, I love giving examples or story to back up Mm -hmm. comments that people make because it really brings it to life. And I have one experience with you that really illustrates, I believe, how you do operate your event business, speaker business differently. I will never forget this. The first time you and I met was on a conference call with a number of people. I had no idea. I mean, I knew who you were, but I didn't know you. I didn't know Mm -hmm. your personality. And I'm definitely a creative person. And I remember we were going into this where I was going to interview Sarah and Jesse on stage in Boston at Hypergrowth. And it was you and your team, Sarah's team, and, and me. And I, I remember we were talking about how this could play out and what this could look like. And I remember I wanted, you know, can Jesse and I come out and have a wrap-off? Can we, you know, let's not make this the same boring conversation that we've all heard 200 times. How do we make this a little bit different? And you sound, you don't know this, but when you don't see you, you sound extremely professional and more CAA, <laughs> right? Like more, I was picturing you in this suit and, you know, you know, rep, you're representing Jesse Itzler and you're Gary Vaynerchuk's partner. And so what I loved about that was, listen, we didn't say yes to all my ideas. However, what I loved is you guys came back with your own ideas and we ended up, in my opinion, but feedback that we also got, that was such an exciting interview because we did it totally out of the box, completely different down to Sarah revealing that video of her scaling that hot air balloon with Richard Mm -hmm. Branson that Jesse had never seen before. And he almost lost it on the stage. He couldn't even watch the video. And then that rapid fire round question round with them at the end was literally the funniest thing I've ever seen at a live event. And I just love Zach that you embrace, let's run with this. Let's make this unique and different. Well, I, and for those listening and not watching, I'm smiling ear to ear as, as Heather's talking and nodding with her because she's 100%. I think that was such a killer event. And I'm like, I'm actually right now probably about 10 miles from where that took place. Uh, <laughs> and that was uh, that was such a tremendous conversation. And I think you had so much energy coming into it. And it was like, great, let's use that energy. How do we make this happen? How do we make this special? Because when you have people like Sarah and Jesse, like they're not boring. They're anything but. But it's really easy to make them boring. And I think you coming in was like, great, we need to match that energy. we got to figure out what we can do to make this special because oftentimes, and as an agent, I don't get any opportunity to, to get creative, right? It's more about just figuring out how do we get it done, right? It's really more just the mechanics and the functionality. But for something like that, you came in and you also were so knowledgeable. You understood and knew Sarah and Jesse. You came in and you did your homework. And then on site, you 
matched and then overcame over the top with energy. And it was just so tremendous that when all three of you were on stage, it just came out and I think oozed all over the audience. I think they loved it. And I think that that was something that is hard to replicate, but that's obviously, it was a, a great example of when it all works. And I think in certain circumstances, we're, we're not able to get quite so creative and it is a little bit more fu- uh, functional, but I think we do our best to, to, to try and figure out what can we do to make things special? Because, you know, plenty of people, I, I will tell you, saw that event and then said, we want to do something like that. But then their their butt, right? The comma butt becomes something we're like, okay, but then it's not gonna be anything like it, right? It's like totally different. And so it's always those things. It's every every event has their little things. They just want to be special, different, and unique. And you got to kind of lean in on those things. And, and you were one of those things for Drift's Hypergrowth. And that was such a tremendous event. It kind of makes me a little sad now thinking of the last how long ago it was and how seemingly close in time and proximity I am right now to it. Yet it seems like it was so long ago. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was almost two years ago, which is so September crazy. September 2020? 2019. Ooh, 2019, God. 2019, right before the pandemic. One thing I learned from your speaker that day, which I want to share with everybody because it was a really powerful lesson. I am a rookie speaker, a professional speaker with only two years in this business. Jesse Itzler obviously has a much longer career in this business than I do. I'll never forget. I was so proud of all of us, all three of us, all the team, everyone. And as Sarah and I got up to walk off stage, we were high-fiving and so excited, you know, smiling ear to ear. What I didn't realize is we got back to stage and I said, what happened to Jesse? And I looked at Sarah and she said, oh, he's out there shaking hands with everybody in the audience. I said, what? And I came back out around to stick my head out to see. And he was literally walking the perimeter of the stage to shake and high five everyone he could reach before we had to be off Mm -hmm. of that stage. And it blew me away that all I could think about was me and I'm so proud of me and all (laughs) he could think about was imparting more gratitude on an audience. I just thought that was really powerful lesson for me. Well, and, and just to make it even more extreme, the context of that, and this was something that I didn't know when we had we had put that event together, but timing you know, was, uh, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it our friend or foe, but Jesse had run 84 miles, it was 84, 85 miles, like that the day before, two days before. So when he showed up, he was wearing sandals with socks on and he didn't know what he was going to do. Like he was barely able to walk. Yet that entire interview took place in a seated position and he stood up and was standing and shaking all those hands and didn't you know, grimace, wasn't complaining, but that's just who Jesse is. I mean, he, you know, I think he had so much adrenaline going and had such a good time. That was such a great crowd. It was in a theater. It was a really cool environment. Okay. So now let's cut to <laughs> COVID. Literally the worst thing. I mean, first world problems. And I recognize that as I know you do, but our business disappeared overnight. How does Zach Nadler manage that when you're leading Vayner speakers walking into a global pandemic? Yeah, it wasn't fun. Uh, I'll tell you that much. I can tell you, you know, we, first off, virtual stuff, we've been doing virtual since 2012. I remember Gary and I did a virtual event. We streamed, it was either Hungary or Poland. And he streamed on a Sunday morning at five o'clock in the morning. I'm meeting him at my old office. He's streaming in using Cisco, you know, telepresence with this, you know, big screen and all this technology. It wasn't like a laptop or a simple computer on a webcam, right? It was really 2012. It was, it was intense. So we've been doing this for a long time. But also when you're doing you know, video conferences for the last couple of years, Gary's office is a studio. He has like a cameraman who can come in and just stream to anywhere he wants right away. But when we're in COVID, we're all in different places. So we had to really adapt to that. And I think more importantly, we had to you know, allow time and be patient for our customers to adapt. Because it was, you know, if you remember that March and April, no one wanted to do anything virtual. First, you had to you know, 
FaceTime with your grandmother and your sister-in-law and figure out all these things, how that works. And then you could be like, okay, now I think I can make this work. And I'd pay someone to actually be on a, on a Zoom. So it was certainly a heavy lift. Again, just some context around it. You know, my personal world, uh, you mentioned my daughter. She was born March 6th last year, five days before New York City went into quarantine. So I was also on paternity leave as all of this stuff went down. I give a, a million thanks to my entire team because everyone picked me up. We were, we were working crazy hours because that first month was just moving dates. Was just, all right, great. This isn't happening. So let's figure out what we're going to do. And I think it was really something where what we learned during that time was the importance of flexibility, right? We tried to say very early on, we don't know what's going to happen now. We don't know what's going to happen next. Let's try to be resourceful. Let's try to understand where people are coming from. Um, and let's be flexible and, and reasonable, right? Because some people are going to come to us and say like, oh my God, the sky is falling. And other people are going to come and say, we're just going to wait this out. But we have to understand that this is affecting both the customer and the event, as well as our clients. And so it was really important to kind of just kind of take a step back, take a deep breath and figure out what was right for each and every opportunity. And thankfully, I would say 99 times out of 100, we wound up with great success in terms of either postponing an event, rebooking it, turning it to a virtual opportunity. There were a few that just fell apart for one reason or another. And like you said, it's, you know, it's first world problems. I think businesses fell apart during that time. You know, people died. There were real things that were going on in the world. And we just tried to, to kind of do our part. And I think there were some speakers where I, was, I heard of one bureau that literally turned into a podcast agency within six weeks. And we we're like, well, your business probably wasn't going to work if you were converting to a podcast agency within six weeks of, of you know, a pandemic. And now we look at it and we're doing better business than we were before the pandemic. So whatever we were doing clearly was working, but I think it also was a testament to all the people out there who were just ready, willing, and able to kind of turn things back on when it was possible and get back out there. And I think that the one thing this events industry has shown time and time again is that we are ready and, and willing to have a good time. And people want to be back together. They want to congregate. They want to be at an event next to a person, experience something live. And that's something you just can't replicate. And I don't think we needed a global pandemic to prove that, but I think we're all now you know, completely aware of it. So Zach, you're in such a better, I have such a myopic opinion on what's happening with the event business because I only see it through the lens of me. You're dealing with so many speakers, so many companies. Where do you see the speaking business going? Where is it right now? Where do you see it moving next? Yeah, it's interesting because I think we're in a couple different places. I think over the last year and a half, we've seen that different parts of the industry are rebounding at different times. People were kind of reacting differently. Now we're looking at it. And internationally, I think there are going to be things that are slower to come back than domestically in the US because the vaccines are more prevalent here and they aren't internationally. So there are some places where it's not, not safe to have an event. But what I've seen is that the events industry as a whole has been very resilient and First off, that's going to be like the number one conference theme. So to any speaker out there, if you're working on a speech topic, resilience is going to work, right? So just, just work around that. But I think that we're going to see, and we already have, that this fall events are happening. They're already starting to happen. I think the larger events are going to start coming back this fall. I think the full-scale festivals and things like that will probably trickle in a little later. I think a lot of people are waiting it out and saying, you know, let's just be safe about this. Maybe we have our employees back this fall part-time. Maybe we start doing events again in January. But I think that there is a real demand for events and for people to get back out there. And I think people have been wanting to, and we've seen this. I mean, we have some events that we booked in 2019. We're supposed to be spring 2020, right? Then they get pushed to fall. Then they get pushed to this spring. Then they get pushed to this fall. And I think people just don't want to give up. People want to have their event. They want to bring their, their teams together. They want to be with other people. And so that's just going to happen one way or another. It's just a matter of when and how. And I think some events are saying we're going to take all the precautions in the world. I spoke to someone last night and they said, we are going to require everyone who attends the event, speaker and attendee is vaccinated. 
right? That wasn't something I've heard before. Some events are saying we're just literally doing whatever the government tells us to do, like whatever we have to legally abide. So we see everything in between. And I think that it's coming back and I think it's coming back strong. Everyone I talk to in our industry, they're all saying the same thing, right? And we're right back where we were pre-pandemic. And I think that that probably will cool down a little bit once we get to Thanksgiving, because just like we've had, you know, Zoom fatigue, we'll probably have burnout again in the fall. But I do think that this event industry, this is something that that'll be right back where it was. I think January 2022, as long as things don't get worse, as long as they get better and then people stay safe, I think we'll be right back to, to hanging out together, grabbing drinks at the bar after the keynote session, making plans to, you know, have breakfast with someone the next morning. I think that's that's really here right on the horizon. But I think the the thing that I'm most curious about is, is what happens to the, the speaker's world, because I think some speakers are saying this is great that I can stay home and do this. Well, are there going to be opportunities virtually? Probably, probably more than there were pre-pandemic, but will there be as many as there are today? Probably not. And I think the other events are saying, we need to have the biggest and best event ever because now our attendees are telling us we're only going to one or two events a year. We're not going to five to 10. So I think that there are going to be things that change and we're just the beginning of that. And I'm really curious to see and excited because I think this is when innovations really come out of problems. It's, it's when people react and respond to a problem and then it allows for new things to, to pop up. And so we haven't seen everything shake out from it. But what I can tell you is from my point of view, things are looking up. I'm so glad to hear that. And it definitely is consistent. I'm still getting booked primarily for virtuals, which mm -hmm. like you mentioned, is disappointing to me because I just, I want in real <laughs> life, I want to be with people, right? I'm so ready for you it. need it. I need it. I, <laughs> I'm definitely missing it. However, you know, like you said, with the asterisk, as long as everybody's being safe and does what's right, you know, to make themselves yeah. comfortable. I did an event for Entrepreneur Organization South Florida live about a month ago in person. So it was my first one in about a year and whatever, you know, three months. It was like magic. That's the one thing that I do want everyone to know. The energy, excitement, the gratitude that I just felt from every single person there. It was truly magical. So whenever you can get to a live event, get there. And are you mm -hmm. seeing that as well at the events that you've gone to so yeah. far? The first event I went to, the first time I saw Gary since the pandemic started, he was recording an event in a corporate studio and happened to be around the corner of my apartment. So I was like, how can I miss this opportunity? So I go over there. There were seven people in the audience. Okay. The production team was as big as the audience. And yet that felt like there were 7,000. It was just incredible how energized everyone was just being in a room together. And I think it's something we all missed. And so I think you're a hundred percent right. And that's why I don't have major concern about the industry is because once people see it again, they're just like right back into like, oh my God, I've been missing this. So I think it, it will be there. And I think you're going to still see, you know, virtual stuff booking even into 2022. But I think the longer we go, the more events will happen. And I think what's, what's going to be really funny, all these virtual events that started during the pandemic are going to then convert to live. They're going to go in person, right? Because then they're going to be like, oh, we're missing something. Our, our attendees tell us they want to get together. They want to meet in person because they've only had this virtual relationship. So I think that's what's going to happen next, which I think is great because that just means more events. I've already heard of some places saying they don't have availability in certain cities at certain times. So like, I love hearing that because that just means like, if there's no venues, there's a lot of events happening. And so it's exciting to think that people are already ready to get back together. And so, you know, I think it's some people will probably take it slow and wait till next year, or maybe even mid 2022. But when you're ready, I think you'll see that it's just, it's tremendous to be together again. CBDistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything. If you've struggled with sleep, stress, or pain after physical activity, cbdistillery.com has a targeted plant-powered solution just for you. I love hearing how many of you have seen improvement in your daily life. 
thanks to CBD. So if better sleep, more calm, and relief from discomfort after physical activity sounds good to you, you should explore CBD. Don't miss this massive sale and get up to 30% off your order. Visit cbdistillery.com and enter VIP. That's cbdistillery.com and enter VIP at cbdistillery.com. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, and South Dakota. Oh, I'm so excited. So for the speakers that are out there, because I know you get asked this more than anyone, what advice can you give someone who is an up and coming speaker? Mm-hmm. How do they break into the business? How do they become the next Gary Vaynerchuk? Well, Gary's a great kind of you know, role model for a lot of speakers because of how famous and successful he's been, but also how long it took, right? People look at it and say, well, you know, in 2010, that's when, you know, 2011, we thank you economy. These books are coming out, crush it. And that's how he got famous. And that was when he started doing all these speaking. Well, he had been on YouTube for 10 years prior to that. So there was so much that goes into being and building the, the brand of Gary that become the speaker of Gary. And I think that people don't necessarily see it that way. So I think people expect that, well, if I get 100,000 Instagram followers, and I, I put out a couple of videos, I get paid once or twice, I can start commanding $50,000. I can be the best speaker in the world. It just takes so much more than that. And I think people aren't patient enough in this business. And I think that that's the number one thing you got to be. You got to be patient. You got to listen. When you go and realize that somebody's paying to have you up on stage, you have to deliver for them and things change. And you got to take their feedback to heart. You got to think about what you're doing. You got to internalize your message and listen to your criticism because it's not going to be 100% positive. The negative stuff is what helps you improve. And I think you know things like the Q&A, you can learn so much from. You also have to kind of realize you can't just go out there with the same speech every time. You got to tweak it a little bit here and there. You got to make yourself special, unique, and different. And the hardest part of that is it's a lot harder to do that now than it was 10, 5, you know, two years ago. There's more speakers than ever before. So how do you make yourself different from the next person? And your personal story is yours and yours alone, but you have to really bring that out in a way that's going to impact an audience. So it's not easy. But I think the more time you put into it, I think I'm sure you've seen this yourself, Heather, like the more you're out there, the more comfortable you feel, the better response you get. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. But even the, the fact that you feel that there was better energy from yourself or, your, or not, that is like part of the process. And I think Gary hasn't written a speech in God knows how long, if ever, right? But every time he gets on stage, I think he still feels the adrenaline and excitement. And I think the more you get out there, the more comfortable you, you are with it. And then you can just kind of jump out there and dive into it. But I think people try to do that right out of the gate and you're not ready for it. And that's why the reps are important. So it's all just about really giving yourself the opportunity to get better, um, but listen to the feedback afterwards. I completely agree with you. And one of the things that I do, and I encourage everyone to do this, and it doesn't matter if you're a speaker or what you do, ask for reviews and recommendations of your work. Mm -hmm. That's when you'll find out what someone really thinks. They might not offer it up that, you know what? She didn't nail that or she didn't connect with the audience today the way I thought she would. If you don't ask, you're not going to find out. I have found out some constructive criticism that I don't believe I would have received if I wasn't so, I didn't follow up so much with a client to hear. And I ended up getting on a phone call and, and she said to me, she said, Heather, you're a great speaker, blah, blah, blah. However, you know, the but we didn't feel there was enough actionable advice given, you know, very specific things yeah. that I could have, that I could have fixed, but I didn't go into it with clarity on what is the ultimate goal? What it, you know, so that's one of the things that I've learned is it's setting expectations the same way you would in a business deal, right? Is that just because you're going to give a speech, you can't plug and play. 
who is the audience? What is their ultimate goal? The person in charge, what do they want the audience to be saying when you're finished? And had I known, I want them to have three actionable steps they can go put into play that's going to drive more revenue for 2021. Boom, now we're clear and and you can accomplish that. But you don't find that stuff out if you're not asking. You're 100% right. And I think that it's it's hard to do because sometimes you want to kind of just go in and say like, well, they clapped for me, so I must have been great. And you don't want to hear anything negative. And it's hard because I think no one wants to be told they did something wrong, especially if they're working for someone, right? If, you, if you're getting paid to be somewhere, you want to you know, d- deliver and usually over deliver. But I do think it's important. I think, you know, one of the things I often ask groups when I'm working with them is who have you had in the past? What did you like about them? And what didn't you like about them? Because it great really question. speaks, to, it, it speaks to kind of, what worked and what didn't. Maybe there was an amazing speaker, but they didn't like that person because it wasn't actual items. Or sometimes I hear this all the time, there's too many like lessons. It's just bullet point after bullet point. And it's like, okay, well then that helps me understand. Do you want someone who's more concrete or someone who's more abstract? And I think that these are, there are different styles, there's different content, there's different context. And I think that all of that stuff goes into play. And I think people also need to realize they gotta be authentic to themselves. I think a lot of people try to be someone else when they're on stage. And I think the audiences, they can see right through that. So you got to be yourself. And I know like, Heather, you are 100% unabashedly yourself on stage, the same energy you always have. And that's what kind of brings it to life, right? And I think if you come out there, you try to be someone you're not, the audience sees right through you. And then you start to feel that and you start to pull back or you start to lean into it and it go the other direction. So there's so many different things that can happen. But I think you're 100% right because if you ask, and also I always remind people, be respectful of event planners, right? Usually when you walk off the stage, they still have an event happening. When they're done with the event, they still have to do the event recap. So if you give them a couple of days, then you can usually get their attention. You can get a couple of minutes with them and really understand what worked and what didn't. And then use that to figure out how you can make your, yourself and your speech better the next time around. Have you ever been in a situation which, and just so everyone knows, you and your team are very involved behind the scenes, mm-hmm. day of, you're there, you're on site, you're managing everything. I think people often forget of what's happening behind the actual stage. There's so much going on. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've had a speaker about to take a stage, freak out and say, I'm too scared, I can't do this. How do you coach someone who gets last minute nerves? I've never had someone not go on stage. That would probably be, that would be, that would be pretty bad. I mean, I've had people with last minute wardrobe, just this decisions, you know, whether it's Jesse deciding, do I wear a t-shirt or a polo shirt or Al Pacino deciding whether or not to wear a scarf, like little things like that. Usually once they get on the plane, they know what they're getting themselves into. But I certainly have had people with last minute, like we need to change this or we have to add this, or I don't think I can use this slide anymore, or I changed my mind and I want to add this video. Like that stuff I think, you know, happens all the time. And it's just about reassurance, right? I'll never put someone in a position to fail, right? My goal is to make sure that it's a success for my client, for the speaker, as well as for the customer and their event. I want their attendees to walk away happy and I want the the customer to walk away happy. And I think that it's just about setting the right expectations. And then what we try to do is make sure that we have the information before we even present an offer to someone. I want to know all the details about the event so that when I'm going to a speaker and saying, hey, this is what they want from you, it's what they actually want. And that the speaker understands right out of the gate, I'm comfortable talking about this, right? Because sometimes they say, I don't want to tell that story, or I don't want to go down that road, or this theme isn't me. And I think that that's something that I think it's tough to do when you try to be flexible and malleable with a customer, because we want to be able to say yes to everything. But the reality is that not everything should be said yes to, right? Gary's not going to come out and talk about, you know, of the economy in France. Jesse's not going to come out and talk about microbiology. But if somebody were to ask that, I actually, this was a scary part. I once had someone book the wrong person. It was a very simple day. It was like John Harris or something simple like that. And they booked the wrong John Harris. 
we found out pretty quickly, but it was a very funny moment because had the wrong person showed up to talk about things that they were going to talk about, that was what threw the whole thing off. They were like, you sure this is meant for me? This isn't a topic I've ever spoken about before. I could probably work on something, but it's just not something I've done before. And that was what we started to figure it out. So it certainly happens, but we try to get that stuff out of the way before they hit the side of the stage because that could get pretty scary pretty fast. Oh my gosh, that would have been a complete <laughs> debacle. Okay, so two things that come up a lot for me, I'm sure they come up for you, is people mm-hmm. who want to be speakers. One, they don't know what to charge. So how do you work with charging, pricing, virtual, on-site, and taking someone to the next level? And then people want to become a Vayner speaker. People want an agent. What is your best advice to those people on how they make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no formula for success in our world, right? You know this. It's it's something where everyone has their own path for success. Some people, it's a lot faster than others. I think it's just important to kind of put in the work and, and do what you got to do, but be patient. Right. Not everyone even needs an agent. There are a lot of amazing speakers who don't have a speaker's agent. Right. Magic Johnson, one of the legendary speakers in our industry, does not have a speaker's agent. Now, has he always been Magic Johnson? Probably. So I think that's a little bit different. But I think that there are a lot of successful people out there who have done this and made a career out of it without an agent. So I think there's a lot of people who think they need an agent that don't. I also think it's something where, in terms of kind of what you price yourself, it's really the value of your time. Right. Are you comfortable hopping on a plane? laying over in Chicago on your way to Fargo, North Dakota for a, you know, a 45 minute talk in, you know, to an association in the the middle of February, right? Like if you're not willing to do that, right, that's a miserable trip. Who wants to get on the, like stay overnight, both ends? like that doesn't sound like fun. So if there's not a number that gets you excited to do that, then your, your fee is too low. So it's always about just kind of setting expectations and what it makes sense for you. So most people, they speak on on the side of doing other things, right? Whether they run a business, right? Whether they're an author and they're constantly writing, they're always doing something else. So it's what else would they be doing and where's the value proposition? So if I'm running a business, well, I can't go out for 5,000 or 10,000 if I have all these customers and employees I'm beholden to, and the company would lose that kind of money if I'm not working. So it's about what the value of your time would be otherwise. And I think a lot of people try and set fees kind of arbitrarily. And I think it's important to have a number that makes sense for you, but shows that this is what your value is and this is what you're willing to do. It's something where you want to be competitive if you want to be out there a lot. You don't want to be out there a lot, raise your fee. Less people are going to come calling. But if you're not getting calls and getting inundated to where you're getting asked, are you free for this date? Can you do this event? And you're saying, no, I'm booked already. It's probably not right to raise your fee because what are you raising it for? But when you get so busy that you have to turn things down, you're like, oh, I wish I could do your event, but I have two others that day. That's when it makes sense to raise your fee. An old adage in our business, it's always easier to raise your fee than lower your fee. So if you raise it too early and then you try to lower your fee, people are like, oh, they're obviously not that busy. It doesn't make sense, right? They're not that good. So there are little things like that that I think go into the psychology of it, but it's important to be intentional with your decision-making, right? Thinking about what your time is worth and, and pricing yourself accordingly. One of the things that I'm finding difficult, go back to my time in corporate America. I knew how to Mm -hmm. forecast. I knew what my pipeline was. I knew what the trajectory was. It was so clear. Now, especially because of COVID, this business, I feel like it's much more challenging. I'm so concerned to say yes, because I'm getting requests for 2022 on-site requests. And I'm so concerned to say yes, because I'm going to say my fee is probably going to be a lot higher by that point in time. Mm -hmm. It's difficult as a speaker. And what advice can you give us? When do you know that tipping point is going to come and when do you price yourself out of it or do you say yes to the business? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a bird in the hand, right? Rather have dates than not have dates and and regret the dates you didn't take. And I always think too, we just saw this today. Uh, We got a group who reached out to us 
they had one of my clients at an event in January, 2020, it was January, 2020. And they reached out and they said, we want to have that person back January, 2022. They were our last speaker. We want them to be our first speaker next year, which is a really cool idea. And that person's fees have changed because they're how busy they were over this time. And I think that that's something you got to take into account. And so you can't necessarily hope your fees go up, right? You have to realize, is there going to be something that's going to drive my fee up? Is it, do I have a book coming out? Is there a particular opportunity that's going to change everything for me? Otherwise I'd say, keep booking. And then once you start turning stuff down, that's when you raise your fee because no good speaker will ever cancel an event for a higher paying event. That's just bad ethics. And we, you know, that's a, that's a faux pas, right? You should not be doing that. We don't recommend that for any client, but I think the other thing is there are plenty of times where a client says, I wish I could do that, but, and that's where we try to get creative. First off now with virtual, can we make that a virtual event? Can we pre-record something or what does travel look like? Right. We're trying to shoehorn something in right now between an events in Boston and Chicago, we're trying to jam an event in Las Vegas for someone, right? These things aren't so easy, but at the same token, it's all about what you're willing to do. And, you know, I always often say this, you know, when I'm talking to customers, like, well, can you ask this person if they'd be willing to do this? It's like, well, you don't have a date. You don't know what time it is. We don't have all the details. And those things make sense, right? If I invite you to my wedding, you're going to say, oh, sure. I'd love to come to your wedding. But if I say, okay, it's tomorrow and it's in Guatemala, then you're just like, wait a second. I don't even know if I can get to Guatemala tomorrow. So these are the kind of things that go into your decision-making process. And I think it's better to have stuff on the calendar and let new opportunity, one or two of them go by the wayside if you can't do it, rather than say, I wish I took those because I'm not as busy as I thought I would be, right? You can always make yourself more busy with other opportunities and things like that to fill in the blank. So my recommendation would be to take the good ones. Don't say yes to everything, but if it makes sense, say yes. And then when you're so busy, that's when you start raising your fee. And I think you're going to see a lot of people raising their fee out of the pandemic because they're going to say, like, you want me to get out of my pajamas? I got to get on a plane. That's when things are going to change. And I think we're, we're on the precipice of that. So I'm not looking forward to it. But at the same time, customers won't love it, but clients will. So, so we'll make do. Right. Because then you're actually the bearer of the bad news and or the negotiator that gets to make that yeah. happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a matter of getting ahead of it so that we don't have anyone upset. But I think it's also about being realistic. And I think we keep telling people, you know, right now people are kind of all over the place. They don't know what's going to happen. So it's really about just being prepared for it and not being so fixed in your ways and really being ready for anything. And I think that's when you'll really be ready to react when something changes is when you're just prepared that things are going to keep changing. So Zach, who are the people that should be reaching out to you? Because I know right now there's people listening. They're saying, oh, I might want to do an event in 2022. How do I get a hold of Zach? Who are the people that should be contacting you? Yeah, I mean, look, event planners change all over the place. Whether it's an actual event planner, an agency, we work with all sorts. We also work with all their speakers bureaus. But nowadays, I think what's so cool is people in the events world come from all over. So we could be dealing with a VP of marketing somewhere, the vice president of sales, the CEO, or an executive assistant. We work with people all over the place. And so we love to hear from different people and about their events and see what we can do to help. Because it's really, I think it's fun. We learn things like just like that Drift event. We've gone back and worked with Drift and other events and their events change. And I think that it's about adapting to it. So we love hearing about new events and trying to find ways to make their audiences happy. So anyone and everyone should reach out. And sure, I mean, if you're a speaker too, we have a very small roster. We have 18 clients. We're always looking, but at the same token, we're a very small team. We've been around for two and a half years, so bear with us. But I think it's something where we want to be the biggest in the world, but know that it takes time to scale the unscalable. And that's really what we're aiming to do. How does everybody get a hold of you? Zach at VanderSpeakers.com. Come to our website, hit me up on all social media. I'm always available, usually on the phone or in my emails, but I will check, I promise. So by all means, we get back to everyone. So hit us up, let us know what we can do for you. 
Zach, thank you so much for your time today. So appreciate you and can't wait to see you in real life. Can't wait, Heather. Thanks so much for having me. on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about, Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential. Don't believe me? I'm going to go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too. You have helped me so much these last few weeks. I was with a narcissist for two years. She drove me to the point I wanted to take my own life. Listening to you has made a massive difference and now I know what I'm with. Thank you, Rebecca. Now the recovery. Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life. Emma, 35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.